I want to be a partner. I'll go, I'll risk, I'll serve, I'll give. Just, just say the word. Point me in the right direction. And the thing is that although we are often initially drawn in as customers, right? There's just not a lot of lasting joy in staying a customer. A rebel heart. I'm going to myself back up here. I, generally, I don't sleep very well on Saturday nights, um, just as a sort of a weird rule. But last night, I got to bed on time and really fell asleep and knew I didn't have to wait up for our, one of our girls to come home. Lydia's still at college, and Clara was sleeping at a friend's house, so I was golden, right? I was... Uh, I was sleeping and then uh, heard Clara come in uh, and my wife got up because she wasn't expecting her to come home either and they got into some conversation. I'm a light sleeper too, so now I'm awake and I hear them out there talking about some dog that Clara and her friends had found running around on the road out there somewhere. So now there's a dog in the house. We have our own dog, but... So this is all happening out there. I'm just trying to ignore it and go back to sleep. And I, I really am right on the verge. I'm almost falling back. I can't, almost can't believe it. I am falling back to sleep. And then, my, then I hear my wife at the door of our bedroom. Honey, honey. And I know it's something related to whatever creature is in the house. with this. And I just yelled out, I don't care about the stupid dog. <laughs> Which I didn't. And uh, so that's kind of a confession to begin the sermon. Um, but good news that uh, we, I posted it this morning on the Minnesota Lost Dog website, and they've been reunited. The dog is uh, it's a little Yorkie, so thank God. Uh, good news. Literally nothing to do with what I'm about to say. So, so, so today we get this exciting picture of the early church from Acts 2 that Sue uh, read for us uh, not once but twice this morning. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having the good will of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. It is just such a gorgeous picture of the early church. Worshiping and sharing and serving and giving. All done while praising and thanking God and even having the admiration of those who were, at least at that point, not part of the community, not part of the, this young church. They had the admiration of the culture around them, if you can even believe it, having the goodwill of all the people. It's such an encouraging picture of the early church that it has forever been romanticized and idealized. The glory days. Oh, if we could only get back to the glory days. But if we're honest, and if we read our Bibles honestly, uh, the glory days were never quite so perfect. Even in the book of Acts, we run into all kinds of conflicts and struggles in the early church. There are squabbles over fairness and doctrine and authority, who is in charge. I think 
one of the struggles faced by so many congregations today in this culture is this kind of yearning for the glory days gone by in the church. If not to recapture some idea of the first century church, the Acts 2 church, then at least for the way I remember my church of 20 or 30 years ago or the church I grew up in, there is no doubt we continue to be called together by the gospel of Christ to be a joyful, worshiping, giving, serving community. And I believe that people still really want to be a part of such a community. From the day of Pentecost, the good news of the gospel is spread and it can't be contained. It just keeps spreading. The creation of this new community meant that now there is hope for the poor and help for the sick and comfort for the grieving and liberty for the oppressed and a place for even those who had been cast aside and cast out to belong, to be welcomed in. And that continues to be our call. We are in the good news business. Prince of Peace is in the business of growing deep. We do that through Bible study and group life and worship and fellowship. We're in the business of growing deep and reaching out. We do that by inviting and welcoming and serving. That's why we're here. And it's important for the church to stay focused on its mission if it's going to thrive. And it's also important to realize that living out the mission of the church has never been easy nor convenient. Ah, People are so busy today. There's sports leagues that play on Sundays, work, keeping up with the kids, keeping up with our aging parents and our aging selves. Everyone is so distracted, smartphones and social media and consumerism and religious pluralism and, and, and organizational suspicions. I am, I'm religious, but I'm spiritual, but not religious. I'm, I'm Christian, but I'm not into organized religion. You know, what chance does the church have in such a culture? So, we end up yearning for the glory days. When the church was busting at the seams and the hymnals were the right color, being Lutheran meant not being Catholic, you know. But here's the thing. The goal of the church was never success. The goal had more to do with humility and service and even sacrifice. The mission of the church was never cultural domination, huh? Prayer in every school the Ten Commandments on the wall in every courthouse. The mission of the church was never cultural domination or security or even safety. The mission has always had more to do with risking on behalf of my neighbor in need and sharing and generosity and welcoming the stranger. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We exist to share the good news in word and deed. We have a mission to grow deep and reach out. I shared once that business and management expert and author Peter Drucker has pointed out that with organizations, there are three kinds of relationships. He's talking about business, but I think it works for the church as well. Uh, there are customers who say, you know, if, if you meet my needs, I'll engage with your organization. If, if you give me what it is that I am looking for, customers will engage. There are employees. If they have, uh, we could, we could broaden the, the description, the definition of employees, not just to paid staff, but to those who have responsibilities and leadership roles. The employees, are responsible for particular areas. They have formal prescribed connection to the organization. And then there are partners, Drucker says. The partner says, I want to, I see what you're doing there and I want to be a part of it. I, I want to be a partner. I'll go. I'll risk. I'll serve. I'll give. Just, just say the word. Point me in the right direction. And the thing is that although we are often initially drawn in as customers, right? Wow, I really got something out of that worship service there. They really have great music. I I love their children's program, you know? But there's just not a lot of lasting joy in staying a customer. We rarely hear from a child that says, you know, when I grow up, I just want, what I want to be is the greatest customer ever, the best consumer Right? That's my ambition. Where real joy is found is when we engage as partners, when we want to thank God with our whole lives, with our time, with our our gifts, with our resources. And when a whole community of faith does that, there is life and inspiration and consolation and invitation and room for questioning and yes even doubting and 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 growing Does it sound familiar it's how i often describe prince of peace to people so i'm standing in front of you this morning to say these are the glory days of the church And every generation has to find a way to be able to say that because it is always true. As the scriptures remind us this morning, the Lord is our shepherd. Even when we bury ourselves in work or school or all the other things competing and demanding our time and our energy. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of our life. In the Hebrew, the, the sense of that verb is really pursuit. Surely God will pursue us and find us in the darkest valley. When we're so lost, we don't know which way to turn. God will pursue us and find us there. At least part of the good news in this beloved 23rd Psalm is that God is not some benign deity hidden away in the clouds, keeping a judgmental watch on us from a distance. In the midst of our deepest fears of being unprepared, of being unworthy, exposed and vulnerable in the dark and scary places in our hearts where fear sometimes reigns. There our 
seeking God is determined to find us. Next month, a group of us will worship at a remote Maasai congregation in East Africa and Tanzania. The Maasai are one of the 120 different tribes in Tanzania. They are a nomadic tribe that moves with the rains. After I was with them in January, I posted a message which is, I think, a good fit for us as we contemplate the Good Shepherd. I wrote this morning, every member of the congregation is a shepherd. So they are late for worship as they tend to their flocks, and they were really late. This morning, every member is a shepherd. And shepherds do not fear darkness. They live in the darkness. They can see in the darkness. Shepherds are not afraid of the dark. One of the superstitions of traditional Maasai religion is the belief that the sins of the entire community can be cast onto one person who is then killed or banished from the tribe, from the community, a scapegoat. Somewhere inside of all of us is this nagging suspicion, this realization that I'm not quite worthy I come up short. Where could I put that? Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Like the surgeon's scalpel, it is the cutting edge of the gospel that brings the healing to a group of people deemed unworthy of the things of God The glory of the Lord should stay safely tucked away in the temple where they will never be found. For the shepherds then and now, it is the for you-ness of the gospel that is shocking. For unto you is born, the angel said to those sheep herders. Unto you is born in the city of David a Savior. And they were terrified. My friend and brother, Pastor Eli Laimuya, has devoted his life to proclaiming the good news among the Maasai. They are hearing of a God who has escaped from the temple and come pursuing them, searching for them. They have been claimed, forgiven, and sent by the only one who could bear the weight of their sin, and he died and gave them back new life. So, this morning after these shepherds tended to their flocks, they made their way over to the little church where I was privileged to preach the good news. Do not fear, the angel keeps saying. Do not be afraid of the darkness. And do not fear the light. For this good news is for you. And this very morning, As we gather here at Prince of Peace, that good shepherd has once again caught up with us to say, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So that on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and he gave thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body 
given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, our Lord took the cup and gave thanks and gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people, for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this for the remembrance of me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 